Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. And we're going to talk about living in hope and in holiness and in harmony. Hope and holiness and harmony. I believe this would be a good message for us to keep in mind this new year. We'll give you an introduction, and then we'll give you a division for these three parts of this first chapter of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 1. And we'll read verse 1 for an introduction. In fact, it is an introduction to the book. If you'll notice what it says, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the saints scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then he goes on to give us the message. But let's notice this first verse. We see here Peter naming himself as the author of this epistle. And he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He states his office. An apostle. That means one sent, especially sent of God. And especially in the days of the twelve chosen apostles. We might say that today we're sent of God, but not in the same sense that they were chosen by the Lord. And there has been no succession of apostleship. A lot of people claim they're successors of the apostles. And we're other apostles. We're, we are in a, in a sense of the word, but not of, of the chosen apostles, the original because the Bible says he set some in the church, first apostles, and then the others. And we won't go into all of that. That's another exposition. But what we see is his office. His readers are strangers. And it says scattered abroad. And that means dispersed. They were in need of comfort, and so are we. And that's what Peter tries to do to them. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. That's verse 2. But he's talking about these that are scattered abroad. We find in verse 2, this begins the form of an outline for the plan of salvation. And let's read verse 2, and you'll see this outline of the plan of salvation. It says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So you have three things here. God foreknew. We were foreknown. And also, we were sanctified. That means set apart, as the Holy Spirit dealt with us, set apart or sanctification of the Spirit. When we were convicted of our need for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we were set apart by the Holy Spirit, once we believed on Christ, and the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That's Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. And so, we also trusted, but ye heard the word of truth, and the Holy Spirit sealed you under the day of redemption. And Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. And it bears witness to the verses that I just gave you in the first chapter of Ephesians, verse 13 and 14. So, we find that we're chosen by the Father, we're set apart unto faith by the Holy Spirit, and we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Sanctified by the Spirit, obedient to the gospel, sprinkled with the blood of Christ, and therefore we're pardoned, and we're cleansed, and we're redeemed. We're pardoned from the Lord, we have a complete pardon. We're cleansed from our old sins. The Bible says He's washed us and cleansed us from our sins in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And we find also that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. The Bible says in several places 
Ephesians 1.7 tells us about our forgiveness. It says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even, uh, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And Colossians 1 verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So they're both very much akin and very much like each other. One says, Even the forgiveness of sin. And the other one says, The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So we find that that pretty well takes care of the introduction. If you want to read the last part of verse 2, it says, Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So it's grace and peace. And then verses 3, by the way, here's the outline of it. I don't know how many are writing down anything, but if you are. We said that we would be living in hope, verses 3 through 12, living in hope. Verses 13 through 21, living in holiness. And verses 22 through 25, living in harmony. And we want to try to bring this in our message. This is the broad outline of our message tonight. And I want us to notice as we go into detail. Notice again verse 1, there's some things we need to point out again about Peter. And we'll deal a little more with the introduction, not at length, but before we get into the verses from 3 on. But I want you to notice again First Peter. Peter says he's an apostle. And you know Peter means, comes from the word Petros. Meaning a, a piece of rock. His name was Simon in Matthew 4 verse 18. But Jesus called him, named him Peter. In John 1 verse 42 he says Cephas. And your name shall be called Cephas or a stone. Peter was called that. And his office was an apostleship. We've already said that. Once sent on a commission. You know, an apostle was the highest office in the church. And he was chosen by Christ himself. They were the first witnesses and then preachers. They had power to work miracles. Not at all times, but when the Lord wanted them to work those miracles. By the way, some people think that the apostles could always work miracles. If it suited the purpose of the Lord to vindicate or to prove himself to a certain group of people or individuals or whatever it may be, he would permit them and anoint them to work a miracle. You say, well, what about Paul? Paul, Paul worked many miracles too. He said, Paul said, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you. Speaking of himself, that he had the signs of apostles. But then at the same time, there were certain instances when the apostle Paul did not work miracles. Because he spoke of, he said, Trophimus, have I led at Miletus sick? And he says, sick. He left him there sick. Well, now, if Paul would work miracles on everyone, Paul, his companion and worker in the service of God, why didn't he heal him? It was not God's purpose at that time for Trophimus to have that healing. If God had wanted to, he would said, Paul, you companion in service. And Trophimus is spoken of many times in the apostles' writings as his servant and a faithful worker and so on and so forth. What I wanted to say is simply this, that when God wanted to use an apostle to work miracles, he did. Now, Peter says he's an apostle here. To pretend what we have not is hypocrisy. He didn't claim to be more than apostle. He didn't claim to be the first pope. He said an apostle. He didn't say above the apostles. He was equal with all the others. And by the way, we said to pretend what we do not have is hypocrisy. And to deny what we have is to express ingratitude. He was faith, he, he was thankful that he was an apostle. So, 
that is a good lesson for all of us. We're not to be something we're not, but we're to be thankful for what God has called us to be. And as we are called to be what God wants us to be, we ought to be grateful. Paul mentioned himself that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he was so thankful that God had chosen him to be an apostle and to be a preacher of the, to the Gentiles. Now then, again, uh, Peter's readers here were strangers. That means they were resident aliens in a foreign land. Notice what he says, strangers, in verse 1. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You know, this fits you and I. We're strangers upon this earth. The Bible says we're all like strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And in the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For our conversation is in heaven. The word there happens to mean citizenship. It doesn't mean as we talk to one another. But a walk of life, matter we're walking as heavenly citizens. Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. When he does that, we'll be at home. But meanwhile, we're strangers upon this earth. And so, believers are spoken of as being scattered abroad. By the way, believers are God's seed scattered abroad in the world. Let me give you the book of Matthew chapter 13 and verse 38. It says, The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. And you know, we find in that parable, beginning 24, there's tares among the wheat. The, the wheat is the good seed of the children. It says the children of God are the good seed. Your seed in this world. And the devil has his seed in the world. That's his emissaries. And the tares signified what the devil put in among the wheat. And until Jesus comes again, he tells in 13th of Matthew that there's going to be a separation of the good from the bad. And remember the disciples said, well, should we go and root up the tares? Jesus says, no, let them alone till the harvest. And when the Son of Man comes, when he sends his angels and the reapers come, they'll separate the good from the bad. We would like to do that today, wouldn't we? Separate the good from the bad. And if you haven't learned that there's bad people in the world, well, I don't know what I can do for you. <laughs> but anyway, there are. So I want us to notice this outline. Plan of salvation, chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we've already covered that. So let's look at three main positions and points in our message. Living in hope. Now we get to the main outline of the message. Living in hope, verses 3 through 12. I want you to notice verse 3, what it says here. Let's read verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy, now look at this, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, or a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's lively because it's living. A lively hope. And that's what those who are born again have a lively or a living hope. All of us do. So we want to live in hope. And we're going to give you the reasons for that. Uh, there are several scriptures that we need to give you. Uh, it tells us that we're begotten again here. In James 1 verse 18, it says, Of his own will begat he us through the word of truth. James 1 verse 18. And John 3 verse 8 says we're born again by the Holy Spirit. And it says, by the resurrection of Christ from the dead in this passage here. Have begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
So Christ's resurrection is tied in with our being born again. We believe in His death and burial and resurrection. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, You hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Quickened, made alive, and resurrected in Christ. And so, why should we be living in hope? And how is it that we live in hope? Let me give it to you. Because of our heavenly inheritance, and we'll go down verse by verse, because the next verses in this division that I gave you, verses 3 through 12, the next verses, beginning with verse 4, shows us why we should live in hope. Because it says in verse 4, because of our heavenly inheritance. Notice, to an inheritance, we're born again to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Let's stop right there. Okay? Because why can we live in hope? Because this world is not all of it. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't be at home in this world anymore. Right? And that's where we stand. So we have a heavenly inheritance. The Bible tells us about Israel of old. Israel was God's inheritance as far as an earthly inheritance is concerned. But not only Israel, but we are God's inheritance as far as a heavenly inheritance is concerned. If you look back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, if you look at verse 9, it says, For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. What does it say? Jacob is his inheritance. Jacob representing that was his first name, earthly name, but Jacob turned out to be Israel, right? And so Israel, God refers to him in his earthly name first, or name before he was regenerated, we might say. And then he was to be called Israel. And then he found him in a desert land in the waste and howling wilderness. He led him about. Isn't this typical of how God found us? He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young, spreadeth broad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. Uh, you could read on and on in another interpretation, another complete need for interpretation of the whole passage of Scripture, which we will not have time to get into. But we'll give you some things about So why should we live in hope? Because this life is not all there is. Paul says, if in this life we only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. If you did not have some hope beyond this life, knowing all the trials and the, and the sufferings and the burdens and the things that you go through, and you could not live in hope of the afterlife, where would you be? You wouldn't find it worth living, would you? You'd say, well, I have some joys. We all have some joys, but we have a whole lot of sorrows too, don't we? So we're talking about living in hope, and the reason for living in hope is because we have a heavenly inheritance. The Bible tells us in Colossians 1, 5, which hope is laid up for you in heaven. Colossians 1, verse 5. Look in Ephesians 1, verse 18, if you will. Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 18, notice what it says here. It says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, uh, that you may know, look at this, what is the hope of His calling? What is the hope of His calling? And what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. The hope of His calling has to do with His inheritance in the saints. 
And the context here in First Peter that we just read speaks of our inheritance. We're born again to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. And that's another point, but let's stop there. We have an inheritance in heaven, but we've just given you references to show you that we are God's inheritance. It's not only what we have as an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that faded not away that gives us hope, but it's the fact that we mean something to God because we are His inheritance. The ones that you have in your family, if they're going to be inheritors sometime, they mean something to you just as they have an inheritance that will come from you. If they didn't, you wouldn't have an inheritance for them if they didn't mean something to you. You get the point? If we didn't mean something to God, why would we have it? Why would He give us an inheritance? It's because we do. And we're His inheritance just as He has laid up for us an inheritance in heaven. So that's why we can live in hope. And listen, furthermore, because we are kept by God's power, look at verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We can live in hope because God will keep us by His power. The Bible says that He watches over us. You know, kept, the word kept here means uh, keep with a garrison. It means to mount guards at the gates. It means like you you have a, an army of guards around you. Remember how Job was hedged in? God says, you know, uh, old Satan says, well, you've got a hedge about him. God's got a hedge about us. The angel of the Lord, what? Some. Psalm 34, verse what? 7. Okay. The angel of God encampeth around about them that fear Him and delivereth them. That's what it says. And I gave you an easy way to remember it, didn't I? All of us can remember what 3 and 4 is. That's Psalm 34, right? And you, you want to know what verse? 3 and 4 add up to 7, don't they? Right? So that's easy for you to remember, if you will. I try from some time, from time to time, to give you a few aids to your memory, to help you remember. Over here in Peter, we could talk about, he says, I'll stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. He wanted us to remember as well. So, we live in hope. And even though uh, the Bible teaches us here that we're kept by the power of God, that's why we have hope. But if we were not kept by God's power, we might say, well, you know, how am I going to receive that inheritance? How, how am I sure? But it says, but you're kept by the power of God. Look at verse 5. Through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're ready, just as ready now as in the last time. You're ready for the last time of your life, the last days of your life. And that hope within you prepares you for that day. And God's power keeps you for that day. And then we'll go on. We have so many things we'd like to impart to you tonight. Because we see Christ through the eyes of our faith, but that's another point. Let's drop down to verse 6 and 7. Look at verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Look at verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Look at those two verses. It says, if need be, you might have these trials. Our sufferings are but for a season. He says, though now for a season, right? We must go through testings and we must go through sufferings. We sing the song, trials dark on every hand, but we'll understand it better by and by. 
So it says, if need be, the trial of your faith. But notice what it's, it's works for you in verse 7. More precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. It's more precious than gold. Gold is refined by the fire, isn't it? But it says your trial of faith is more precious than the gold that perishes. How many among us tonight have gone through trials? And you say, preacher, I haven't. Well, don't don't count it too soon because tomorrow you will. It won't be long till it happens. But we know that trials do come in our lives. And that's why we can live in hope, because they're going to be found under praise and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. It gives you living in hope. Again, verse 8. Look at verse 8. Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. What does it say? We have not seen him, but we love him. And then we walk by faith, don't we? Yet believing, you rejoice. We believe and we have joy unspeakable and full of glory, even here on this earth, and therefore we can live in hope. And then let me give you another reason. Look at verse 9. Because we know the final result of that faith. It says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That's why you can live by in hope, because you know that finally you will receive the end of your faith. Even the salvation of your souls. That is your complete and eternal salvation. doesn't mean that you're not saved now. Because the Bible speaks of salvation in three tenses. Who has saved us, passed in. And does save us. And we're being saved in life. And then we shall be saved. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Listen carefully. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. We were saved when we believe, but now our final salvation is nearer than when we believe. And it's nearer for us, right? It's getting nearer and nearer every day. Our complete salvation, body, soul, and spirit. We've already been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin, and we shall be saved from the presence of sin when Jesus comes again. And that's the threefoldness of salvation. And so, we know the final result of our faith and the conclusion of it. It says in verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And then we can live in hope because this great salvation, uh, which the prophets wrote of, was subject of great inquiry. Let's read on now. In verse 10 through 12, Of which salvation... The prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So the prophets inquired about this salvation. They searched diligently. Even though they wrote of it, they inquired it. It was not fully known. They preached it. They knew that, that it was going to come. But there are many things that God told them to write that I'm sure that they inquired diligently what time and all, the, all about it. They wanted to know more about it. But they moved as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And it says, they looked for the grace, prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now look, verse 13, it says, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. You read Isaiah chapter 53. And you remember how that he 
He says, he is despised and rejected of men. Uh, he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. By his stripes we are healed. We are saved by Christ's sufferings. The Lord hath made the meat on him. The what? The iniquity of us all. And it goes on to tell that he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And he shall make intercession for the transgressions. I'm just giving you a gist of the things you'll find there without turning. And you find all of these things, Isaiah prophesied of the death and the resurrection and the continuance of Christ. He shall seize his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And you know, he took that first trophy of blood redemption with him when the repentant thief repented. And Jesus said to him, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And that was the first trophy of his sacrifice on the cross, and he died on the cross and redeemed us all by his shed blood, and a whole lot more ramifications could be said about that. But let's go on with this. It says, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in him did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that uh, should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, as they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them, that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Look at the last part of verse 12. Which things the angels desire to look into. No wonder. This salvation that the prophets inquired about, it says which things the angels desire to look into. It revealed, it was revealed to the apostles and the New Testament preachers. They preached it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was so special that angels desired to look into. The word to look into means to bend aside, to lean over, to see. It would be like look, looking over and seeing what's going down upon this earth. They look down from the portals of heaven and look into every sinner that's converted and saved. They look down and they see what joy there is. And they wonder all about it because Jesus didn't die for the angels. He died for men. He died for men good sin and come short of the glory of God. And it says these things the angel desire to look into. Now then, the second part of our message is this, living in holiness. Let's pick up with verse uh, 13. 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. There's the word hope again. You're living in hope even when you're living in holiness. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at that. In other words, it tells us why we're to live in holiness. By the way, holiness does not always does not mean sinless perfection. The word holiness here, and I'll give you the root of it in just a moment when we look at a reference for you. It means to be set apart and separated to God and dedicated to God. It doesn't mean that we will not have faults and failures as human beings. And I'll give you the, the meaning of it. Turn to Leviticus 11, verse 44. It says, for I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore sanctify yourselves. That means to set yourselves apart to me. And you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And he goes on tells all the things that would defile them. So it means simply being set apart to God. And so we're to live in holiness. We're to live being set apart to God. And if you'll notice the context in First Peter that we just read, what does it say? 
In verse 14, it says, As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, not living like you used to live when you didn't know any better. Now, verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So it's telling you what God expects of us as he turns back to the Old Testament root of the meaning of what he meant when he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be set apart to God and don't go back and defile yourself with these other things. That's what it's talking about. Complete dedication to God. Not conforming to the same pattern of the world that you did. Living a different kind of life. Verse 14, as obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. That's what Paul meant when he said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. What did he say? He said, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what he meant in Romans 12, verse 2. So we see why we're to live set apart to God. It tells us what we're to do and what we're not to do. Verse 15 tells us to be holy as he is holy. Verse 16 says, because it is written, be holy. He's calling you to be holy in verse 15, and he tells us to be that in verse 16. And verse 17 says, And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, tells us how to live in the fear of God. Fear doesn't mean afraid to live. It means in the fear of God, reverence of God. And every one of us should have a holy fear. And that holy fear means that we reverence God. By the way, well, to reverence God's house, God's people. And then, so, uh, look at verse 18 and 19. And what else will it do? For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Because we're redeemed by the blood, the price of our redemption is spoken of as the blood of Christ, the costly blood of Christ. You know, when it says precious, there are two words for precious. One of them means costly. The other, you know, we use a word precious, and we use it for endearment too, don't we? But this, is, this word here means the costly, the greatest cost, not with silver and gold, but with the most costly price that could be paid, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him to believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and what? Hope might be in God. We've been emphasizing both these things as we go along, right? Our faith that brings us through the trials, our hope, because we're born again and we've found hope time and time again. So they're all kind of dovetailed in one with the other. They're all in harmony. And then we find there's another thing. Not only the cost of our redemption, but we're to live in holiness because of the wonderful condescending grace that brought to us the plan of salvation, brought it down from heaven to us. Look at it. It says that God brought it down from heaven. Okay, let's read that. In verse 18, glance at it again. Verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ. Now verse 20, who, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest. See this word? In these last times for you. 
manifest. Christ was brought down from heaven. He was manifested among us. We call it the incarnation. We call it that God sent His Son from heaven. And that's why we should live because He came down in condescending grace to make a plan of salvation for us. God made it at the beginning, but to, to provide that plan that He had determined from the beginning for us. The Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That's what it says here. Foreordained before the foundation of the world. But it was manifest in these last time for you. To buy him to believe in God. You know, we sing the song, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. It was drawn up in heaven. What? Then, oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. Right? He spanned the gulf from heaven to earth. And he spanned the gulf to bring sinful man to himself by the coming of Jesus into this world to fulfill God's pre-designed and preconditioned plan that He made for our salvation. And He did it for us. Isn't that an amazing thing? That God planned it from the beginning and God, He purposed it and He provided it finally and it's all secure, it's done, it's God's plan. No wonder that we sing that song at Calvary. Foreordain means to foresee. To know beforehand, God in grace included us in that plan of salvation. Verse 22 through 25. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned, look, unfeigned love of the brethren living in harmony, See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thou falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. I'll try to give you a few points here. Salvation gives us a living hope. A desire for a holy life that we just studied. And listen, harmony and a wonderful fellowship with the people of God. Look at verse 22 again. Ye have purified your soul. Notice it was obedience to the truth. And this was brought about by the love of God. I want you to notice verse 22. You have love twice here. Look at the verse 22. Look at the very verse. It says, Through the Spirit, under unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. One speaks of loving one another, but one says with divine love. And there, if you're in the original, if you want to go back and study it, there's two different words. So we not only have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, but we have a love of fellowship with the brethren. Living in harmony. Isn't that what we said? That's how God's people are supposed to live. Is in harmony. And loving one another. And in fellowship with one another. And when you find that element in a church, you can be thankful to God for it. I believe we have that in our church. And if we do not have, we'll correct the things that need to be corrected. So we will have. Every one of us. And where does, where does correction start? 
to have this kind of fellowship right here with me. Doesn't start with the other guy, starts with me. Because everyone is a me, right? And every me does that right, well then we'll have fellowship. Let me give you another scripture. Look in the book of Psalms, chapter 133. Now I'm going to read the whole psalm. Three verses. Every time I say I'm going to read the whole psalm, people think, well, he's really going to drag this out now. But I'm not. I want you to look at verse uh, Psalm 133. Behold how good, look at this, and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now look. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Remember the priestly anointing. And it says that went down to the skirts of his garments. He was so anointed that it went down to the the skirts of his garment. Now look in verse 3. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Now look at the last statement. For there, there. You You ought to underline that. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. God commanded a blessing to a church that lives in this harmony that we're talking about. It's good to have harmony in the family, isn't it? And we should have love in the family. By the way, if you don't, let's, this is the beginning of a new year. You start having it right now. And you'll start the new year right. Living in hope. What? And living in holiness. And living in harmony. And if we'll have these things. This is the great thing about these things that we're studying here. And every Christian ought to live in that way. Living in harmony because we're born again. Don't be a contradiction to your testimony. If you say, I'm a born again Christian, well then live like a Christian, right? It tells us in the Bible we ought to do that. Let me give you another reference. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. So we know that we belong to the Lord, and God has sealed us. But it says, And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, what? Professes to be a Christian. What? Depart from iniquity. Right? Depart from iniquity. And so if we name the name of Christ, and we're living in hope, and we're living in holiness, we're depart from iniquity in our lives. That doesn't mean we're sinlessly perfect. Don't ever get that idea because you sin every day. You say, preacher, I don't. Well, look out. You probably do. You may not think you do. In word or in deed or in thought or in something. But anyway, think of this just a moment. It says, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ. So don't be a contradiction to what you profess. That's what we're talking about. If you profess to be a Christian, you live like one. You talk like one. You act like one. You treat other people like you're, you're a child of God. You have fellowship with one another. You have a hope that's laid up for you in heaven. Colossians 1 verse 5, I gave it to you earlier. And so I think this is one of the best things we can do.